very welcome along the gardening programme on uh, this Saturday morning. We're in the middle of September. Hello, good morning, Porrick. Good morning, dear Jack. Good morning. I have How to think where I am today. For some reason, I, I, I won't say I'm not firing on all cylinders, but it's one of those mornings where... It's anticipation the anticipation of tomorrow. Good that's woman. Been, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we have, we have the red and green flying all around Excellent. my own locality. Well yeah, well I've done. lots of good Mayo neighbours and uh, there's a great bit of colour as well. So looking forward to it, absolutely. But we've got... And, and the weekend is, I think the weather is promised pretty good. Tomorrow is, to- is, yeah. is decidedly good, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And and definitely in comparison to um, perhaps what we've had, it's been very mixed over the last while altogether. Sure it has yeah. been very, very wet. It's been very wet. Now, so. we are going to talk, I know we're going to talk a little bit about apples um, we'll, um, in a moment, but uh, last weekend, of course, we were talking about the the bee and the honey weekend. We we yeah, were. so you had your talk in the Phoenix Park on Saturday. In the Phoenix Park, Saturday. in the OPW, yeah. uh, just in the Victorian Garden in the, in the uh, visitor centre. Mm-hmm. In the um, which I always advise people to take a, a walk around and I did just that before I, I went uh, to, for my talk and, and the gardens are looking fantastic and RTE are actually uh, hosting a programme now about the park and the OPW it runs every Wednesday night I believe on RT1 and they're showing the gardens and they're showing all what's happening in the OPW and, and the Phoenix Park in general so it's a six week series yeah I think it's been running for a week or two now um, and it, show, it, it chats to the gardeners and talks about the the whole year the, they follow the gardeners for a year right through the um what they're doing but the gardens are looking fantastic a lot of great plants in flower I thought well, a, an interesting patch and I refer to it in my talk mm. um, you often hear me talk about the plant Phacelia for bees and that was there and even though the day was very wet the bees were out foraging on the Phacelia plant but they had actually sown it amongst the pumpkins so they're lovely they're, the pumpkins are ripening for Halloween so a really nice bit of colour and they had used the Phacelia through it to feed the pumpkins oh and I thought it was a great way Very of... Very symbiotic gardening. A symbiotic way of sowing two plants together that work really well together. The Phacelia, of course, would encourage bees in to help to pollinate not just it, but also the pumpkins during the summertime whilst they're in flower. And uh, now that they're fruiting and they're using lots of energy, the Phacelia plant is feeding through its root system, it's actually feeding the pumpkins because they're a very hungry feeder um, as they're beginning to ripen. And they mm. were beautiful. I mean, they were, they were literally two they, feet wide okay. and beginning to colour and very, very nice. So um, I, we, we chatted about that. But it was a great show. It was the Honey Show, which is it's, it's in its third year, 27 different classes. Not only was it were they judging the actual honey, but they were also judging products made from honey and, the, and beeswax in particular, like candles and uh, various other items made from beeswax. And also they had a section for people that want to cook t- um, cakes and buns made from honey. Hi. Okay. So you had those interesting things going on. Um, uh, so it was, it was particularly good. And uh, I, I spoke about the garden, the plants that people can use uh, for gardening. Now, I do note there's a question in this morning Did from there, somebody. Yeah, I see. Well, I, it's, this is probably it, somebody who was at the talk loved yeah. it, uh, first of all, and wondering um, if it's possible to get a copy of the list of plants you recommended and where they can get the Irish honey. Okay, well, the Irish honey, I know we have a couple of jars left in, in Turlock and Castlebar, but literally it's just a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you tend to get it at this time of year. Look out for the Irish honey. It has the, uh, the Irish beekeepers have a specific lid that they put on the top of the, so it's the Irish Federation of, of Beekeepers lid. And that's how you'll know. 
it's, it's true our, Irish honey. honey. Um, so look for that in, in, you know, Super Value often do it and some of the local artisan yeah. shops will have the Irish honey. But try to get local honey if you can. That's, that's really important. I know, because there, there are all kinds of honey and lots of industrial Mo- types of honey. Most imported. Yeah. Most of yeah. them imported. And most of them imported from non-EU countries. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're getting like them from like African. mixes of things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so do yeah. look for the Irish honey. But in terms of the, the list of plants I recommend it, my presentation, if you go on to our website, hawkins.ie, there's a little button on the main page called called ASK, A-S-K. Right. You click on it, uh, leave your email address and I'll send you back a copy of the presentation of the plants. So it, it shows you the various slides that I used during the presentation and all the plants that I recommended. But it was a great weekend. I'm, I'm um, really looking forward to, to next year again and some very interesting topics. We had a question in last week too. Somebody was interested in how to set up, up a hive. A hive. Yes, yeah. And it's, well, you know, and I was thinking about that whilst I was up there and asking the various um, um, speakers. Mm. But the the common thing is, is the recommendation really is that you should go and join a local beekeepers club. So there's one here in Ballyhonas, there's one in Ballina, there's one in Westport. There's lots of them all over Mayo and in, in, in the West Coast in general. And really, it's not just about putting a hive in, in your garden. It's about learning how to manage the bees and how to care for the bees over the, the summer period. So really, the advice was to learn to, to go and join one of the local beekeepers. And a lot of them reactivate at this time of year. They meet weekly and they put on various talks and they teach people how to actually care for bees because the buying of the hive is the easy part. How to ma- manage it and maintain it after that um, is, is really the skill. Okay. So um, my advice really is to, to join a local beekeeper's uh, association and there's plenty of clubs yeah. around Mayo. And I just I'm just lo- noticed here that there's uh, there there's a website called the theirishbeekeeping.ie. There is. So they'll give you a full list of all the different locations and where there are different clubs and associations. So uh, that yeah. might be the handiest way, kind of, if people are, are kind of finding out for the first time or thinking of this for the first time. Because there are people there with, with their own locality or who's involved. There's people in those clubs with 40 and 50 years experience of beekeeping. And particularly beekeeping is slightly different in the west of Ireland than it is on the east coast where it's a little bit warmer and, and uh, you know, plants flower, t- tend to flower a little bit earlier and so on. So I would advise joining your local beekeeping, beekeeping. club and they'll advise you on what to do. Excellent. And it's a great source to get because bees swarm and, and to, to get additional hives and, and kind of add from one to two to three. That's generally what happens with beekeepers. They start with one and they end up with ten what? hives after a, <laughs> after a period. It's just kind of mushrooms. You, you don't need a large garden. That was one of the points I was making. Interestingly, in, in London, um, they're putting beehives on a lot of the buildings around London, on the flat roofs in, on the build, because the bees will feed off all the garden plants and they produce, they produce more honey in urban spaces than in rural spaces because the flowers are so close to them. Mm. And I believe in, in Dublin, in the IB Bank, they have a, uh, some beehives as well up on the flat roofs at the very top. So you don't actually need a huge space for them. Um, you do need good, a good local source of nectar, nectar plenty of yeah. flowering plants and so on. So often urban spaces, uh, they're keeping bees now as well. Okay, and finally on the honey before we move on to the apples. Uh, what is the difference between ordinary honey and the creamed honey? Or I guess it's that that's a slightly thicker honey, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, creamed, creamed is processed. It's a, it goes through a processing to stop it. Some varieties of, of um, honey, like ivy honey, for example, crystallises very quickly. Or oilseed rape tends to go to that kind of crystallise it. It goes to a nearly a, a hard 
um, substance mm. from liquid to, to within a couple of weeks. So by creaming it, it's a process, it's a, a heating process that they use to actually stop, stop it. The crystallization. Yeah, and there was a, quite a, a good bit of creamed honey uh, on very on the various stands, and it spreads like jam. So it's a smooth, it's or like peanut butter. Yeah. It has that very it's smooth texture, uh, generally white or, or kind of a kind creamy colour. Color, yeah. And um, but it spreads. So so the so particular varieties of plants t- often go crystallise. The honey crystallises, particularly ivy, particularly heather honey, um, and uh, oilseed rape, and that can often be creamed. But there are beautiful honeys there. Um, I was tasting blackberry honey, lavender honey. So can you really can you taste? Uh, the oh, you can taste the difference. The Definitely, you can taste the yeah. difference. Heather honey, which is, uh, it's it's heavier. It's more it's more like a jam. It's it's um, there's a word for honey. How it pours, isn't it? The viscosity. Oh, the viscosity. That's it. So the viscosity <laughs> of heather honey. You just chemistry. It doesn't pour at all. It literally you can turn it upside down and yeah. it won't go anywhere. Yeah. Whereas some of the the um, summer fruiting varieties like lavender and and uh, blackberry flow an awful lot easier. Okay. Uh, but it's just interesting to see. And some of the heather honey, the uh, ling honey in particular, is a very dark. Or the bell honey is a very dark colour. The ling honey is kind of a brownish colour as well. Just so interesting to see the different colours. Okay. So it's an interesting, interesting yeah, show. Well, certainly and, sounds. Um, I enjoy the talk. And obviously, it has piqued people's interest as well. So hopefully, we've given you a little direction if you're thinking of uh, setting out and having your own hive as to how you can go about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, one of the points I was making as well to the to the the group that were there that this autumn is a great time for preparing for next year, the sowing of seeds in particular. And if you look around you, nature is doing that itself. It's lots of the the weeds and the the berries are beginning to produce at the moment. So nature itself is sowing its seed at this time of year. So all the holly berries and the whitethorn berries and all the seeds you see on weeds at the moment, they're preparing, they're dropping to the soil now. The temperature of soil in September is generally at its warmest in the year. So it's a bit like the sea. the, The soil warms up during the summer months and September is a time of year when the soil temperatures are at their highest so it's a great time of year to sow seed in general um, and somebody mentioned sweet pea seed last week we had a, remember we had a comment oh they did yes it. yes so I brought some sweet pea in just to show you um, and this this particular variety is one called True Fragrance Mix. If you want a really highly scented variety with mixed colour, that comes in the Sutton's range, True Fragrance Mix. But the seed of sweet pea is quite large. It's very easy to sow. It's great for children to sow. And generally a packet, there'll be 40 or 50 seed. Um, my advice is when sowing, the particularly larger seed is to soak them overnight, put them into a bit of tepid water overnight, strain them off, put them into then regular seed and potting compost or multi-purpose compost in a pot, cover them with cling film, stick them under your windowsill and within two weeks they'll have germinated, they'll be a couple of inches high, grow them on there for for another week or two and then they can be planted out of doors perfectly fine. And they'll flower, as the listener mentioned, they'll flower earlier in the year and the flowers will be larger. So you'll have them possibly a month earlier. Another plant of which I thought was really nice is a plant that I, it's an old cottage garden plant called Godetia. And this one is the variety is called Precious Gems Mixed. Okay. Isn't that nice? It's really, Preci- it's really pink anyway. Pink and yes. purples <laughs> and shades of red. But Godetia is one, again, it's a hardy annual. You can sow it either in seed trays at this time of year indoors or you can sow it directly out of doors. So if you create a small little seed bed, um, simply sprinkle the seed on the top of the surface. They'll germinate over the autumn, winter period. Uh-huh. And again, they'll flower in April and May 
of next year. They come in about a month earlier than traditionally sowing them in January. So this is a really good time of year in general for... To get these things in the ground. Yeah, and I mentioned last week, so the sowing of particularly hardy annuals, so things like the Godetia, forget-me-nots, the sweet peas, those that will tolerate a little bit of frost over the winter, white alisum, for example, English marigolds, poached eggplant, and many of those are brilliant for bees as well. And we, we talked last Sunday about a period in the summer, June. June is often considered the hungry month because all the spring flowers have gone out of flower. Mm. The summer blooms haven't come in. And there's a period there for three or four weeks where bees find it hard to forage. And if you sow seeds at this time of year, you'll actually fill that June period. So there's not only that, you'll fill your garden full of, of colour. There's another lovely um, another lovely variety of um sweet pea called Melody Mix which again is mixed and if you want something with kind of a straight colour um, one I, I've grown is one called Fragrant Skies which is um, oh, that sounds lovely Fragrant lovely, Skies lovely title anyway yeah. which again the flowers are all blue or shades of blue Oh, so it, yeah. So fragrant skies and it's highly scented variety as well. And they're great for cutting and picking. But I suppose my advice is we often associate the sowing of seed with January, February and March. But this is much an excellent time and okay. an easier time to do it uh, because you don't need as much artificial heat. Excellent. We did say s- apples. Apples. And the I reason did, I put yes. apples on the list this week <laughs> is that apples are, are um, they're apples that I took from the tree this morning. They're uh, two, 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 two different varieties. varieties. Yeah. This is one called Elstar, which is a really nice variety. It's a red apple. You need to pick it at this time of year or the wasps and the birds are just going to get them. Um, so start picking any of the red or the multicoloured apples should be picked now. They'll come away from the... When they're ripe, they'll come away relatively easy. Yeah. You don't have to be tugging at them and pulling at them. Um, if if there's resistance, then leave them another week or so. But in general, this is the time of year they're, for picking... the great colour on those the apples. apples. They are, and they're yeah. ready for eating now. They're, they're actually perfect they're ideal for 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 eating um so this is the time to pick them they'll store for maybe three to four weeks ideally you want to wrap them up in newspaper or tissue paper put them into cardboard boxes or timber crates and leave them in a garage or uh, dark area and they'll store for for several weeks particularly the red varieties if you've got apples that have fallen and may not be uh, fully ripened yet mm. a way to ripe them is just put a banana into them into the box so I've mentioned that before. It gives off ethylene gas and that creates a, a, an early ripening. It helps them to ripen them earlier. Or if listeners have tomatoes that are green and they want to take them in and, and ripen them indoors, mm. put it put them very close to a banana. But again, not only is it the time for harvesting apples, um, pears will take about another month to ripen, so leave those till October. Plums should be lifted off off the trees at this time of year, raspberries, things like that should be all taken off now, the last of the blueberries. Um, so you're taking off the fruit now before we get into frosty weather and before the, the bugs get them. them. Um, and the other thing with, with fruit in general is the planting. So September is a really good time for planting all fruit trees, blueberries, blackberries, ra- raspberries, uh, all the top fruit, plums, apples, pears, because as, as I mentioned, the soil is still <clears throat> quite warm those plants will initiate new roots right through the winter period and they'll be really strong going into the, okay. the spring of next year. The pruning on, on apple trees and tree and, and uh, fruit in general is left till November. Okay. So we generally do the pruning once the leaves have all fallen off. And at that time of year, you prune them and you also give them a winter wash. 
So it's a special liquid that's mixed in water. You apply it onto the naked branches and it cleans them of mosses, lichens, uh, pests in, in, you know, in general. General, just kind of sets and them up for the winter. Cleans them up, yeah, mm. for the winter and starts them, kind of gets them ready. So fruit really, it's, this is the time of year for harvesting fruit in particular and the planting of, of new fruit trees. And we had mentioned last week the taking of cuttings. Yes. And we had a couple of questions about fruit in general. So blackcurrants, gooseberries, they can be propagated from cuttings at this time of year as well. Okay. So lots to keep people busy there. Now we have a good few questions in as well, Paul. Yeah. Uh, I had to practice my pronunciation on this, but I'm hoping I have it reasonably right. So Luke is in Wexford. Good morning, Luke. Uh, Porig, um, Luke has a Robinia pseudacacia. Yeah, Okay. Okay. Latin is quite good. Yeah, oh, thank you. Uh, Tree, let's put the word tree at the end of that. In an island bed, it's about 20 foot tall. Suckers everywhere. I don't usually use chemicals, but what would I use to deal with it? Well, the Rabinia, Rabinia, pseudo acacia, the word pseudo means what? False. Very good. I'm very impressed this morning. It is. Not not, not firing on all cylinders after all. Rabinia is a lovely plant and Luke is in Wexford where it grows particularly well on the east coast, Rabinias. Mm. In, In the west coast here, we have too much wind, generally too much rain for Rabinia to really do well, unless you've got a really very sheltered, sunny garden. But it's a beautiful plant. It's It's the false acacia. There's a variety of called Frizii, which has butter yellow leaves on it. Beautiful plant when it comes into leaf. And it's a relatively small tree. I mean, 20 feet, I presume Luke's one is the Frizii. Um, 20 feet would be kind of its maximum height. The one unfortunate thing is that they do produce suckers and the Robinia Frizii is grafted onto the common green um, Robinia. So you, the suckers tend to be green and thorny but the top plant is, is golden yellow. So you get this contrast so to colours. Okay. And most trees are grafted. If you buy a maple or you buy a mountain ash or whatever, they're grafted onto a rootstock. So they're, they're actually two different plants that are joined together. They are related. They're both robinias. The problem with robinia, as it gets older, it produces these suckers. And if you use any herbicides, traditional herbicides, you'll damage the tree. So the only way really to remove the suckers is by a physical method either using a sharp spade, mm. a knife, um, something that will actually, a, a sharp secateurs to prune the actual suckers from the root structure. So what's basically happening is, uh, roses often do this as well. They produce suckers from ground level. And um, so as the, the plant is maturing, the rootstock is trying to kick back into growth and it's producing these stems up around the, so he mentioned it's in an island bed, so it's yes. probably in a circular bed and, the, and these little the suckers are constantly popping up. So really... I wouldn't advocate using any herbicide, any weed killer, because you're going to damage the physical tree itself. Mm -hmm. So really, uh, the physical removal once a year, cut off the suckers and just dispose of them. Um, hopefully the tree will get <laughs> fed up producing suckers and it'll and, give up. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Often you you see that as well. If a tree is struggling, if you've got say a cherry tree and it's beginning to struggle in the garden, it might mm. be disease prone or whatever. Or willows often do this as well. The grafted weeping willows, they'll throw up these suckers off the stems, which are you know, leaves are sh- shaped differently, and 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 the rootstock is basically trying to take over and and master the bigger mm. tree. So look, a constant perseverance, Luke, unfortunately, and it's well worth persevering because Robinia, Pseudacacia, uh, particularly that variety, Frizii, which I'm uh, guessing it's, it is, uh, is a beautiful tree. Okay, so it'd be And wor- difficult it'd be to grow in, in um, you know, you, we associate it with Australia and New Zealand and warmer parts of the States because it needs that really warm, 
you know, south country. Sunny south, southeast, southeast, obviously. Southeast, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, Climate. well, ho- hopefully that answers your question, yeah. Luke. Uh, Doug, the last of my Satanta potatoes yesterday. Great. Very happy with the recommendation. Excellent. What can I sow now into this soil in the line of green organic manures? Well, there's a whole range of them available at the moment and and this time of year is a great time. So if you've got a piece of ground in the garden that you want to pretty much leave fallow for the winter or grow a cover crop like the phacelia or red clover is very good as well. Wheatgrass is another one. If you pop into your local garden centre, they'll have a selection of green manures. And as the name suggests, they're basically green, a green manure. Phacelia, the one I mentioned with the pumpkins, mm-hmm. that's exactly the way it grows. So you sow it from seed this time of year. It germinates within a couple of weeks and it provides this cover across the soil which helps to suppress other weeds. So not only is it keeping the soil clean for the winter, it's also adding organic matter back into the soil. And the idea is then before you plant your potatoes next April, you dig that plant back into the ground and put your spuds in and you've enriched the soil. So pop into your local garden centre. Red clover is very good. The phacelia is excellent. Um, wheatgrass, as I mentioned. There's some uh, varieties of peas as well uh, in the pea family that would be suitable as well. So... That's why. So rake off, take out, the spuds have taken out now, just rake off the soil, get yourself some green manure seed, shake it on the area, rake it in and just leave it alone for the rest of the winter. Now, and a question that came in earlier in the week in relation to potatoes as well, Porik. Um, somebody wondering, what do you put on potatoes to make them flowery? The potatoes in question are queens, roosters and golden wonders. Okay, well, to make them flowery, well, they're all pretty flowery varieties anyway, but if you use sulphate of potash, on the plants. Now, it's a tad late in September. Ideally, it should be put on around the end of July, August period. But if you use sulphate of potash, it helps to dry. It takes, it extracts the moisture from the potato and it makes it drier and fl- more flowery. So I would always, you know, coming into autumn, advocate an application of sulphate of potash. Um, but having said that, those varieties are they're very flowery. flowery they anyway. are, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're going to be very dry if you use potash on them as well. But sulphate of potash is the ingredient that helps to take out that moisture content in potatoes and dry them up. so that's what it's doing. Yeah, and it also helps, it builds a bit of strength. Potash is the element that builds strength into plants as well. It kind of counteracts nitrogen. Nitrogen is all about fast growth and lots of green leaves and so on. Potash reverses that. It it, it slows plants down. It makes them more turgid. Uh, It makes them more disease resistant, dries up the potato as well, and very good for flowering plants things like fruit trees all benefit from sulphur potash. I would suggest that if people have potatoes in their garden, now is the time to be, September's the month really to be getting them out. So over the next couple of weeks, as the ground starts to dry up, get a bit of frosty weather, start lifting the potatoes now and storing them. So yeah, we can store them for... Yeah, for don't, don't leave them through October, November because the, the, generally the slugs get them. Right. Or the weather the, just the, disimproves right, and they tend to be left. a little bit or yeah, Exactly. Okay. Now, moss around my curbs and footpath in the street, which is the right way? What is the right way to get rid of it? Uh, I have liquid stuff or would powder be better and mix it with water? I don't know what I don't know. We don't Depends what the powder stuff, is. Stuff, stuff is a very broad term. <laughs> well, the, the treatment to use is the pack treatment, which is a liquid. You simply mix, mix it with water in a washing can or a spray machine and apply it on. And we're seeing lots of moss and lichens at the moment because August and September have just been so wet. You'll see it on roof tiles and walls. But the listener is right to tackle it now because if you leave it, it's only going to... Uh, 
get worse. Uh, you know, this is the time of year when moss accelerates its growth. So it's a good idea to nip it in the bud now. So an application of pack, a dry day like this morning or tomorrow mm. if, <laughs> before the match. Airy, yeah. And uh, put it on. Pack works within six to seven days and it'll kill most green algaes, lichens and those sort of uh, green mossy growths mm. on hard surface areas, let me stress. So I don't use, you know, pack is to be used on tarmacadam, slates, tiles, roofs, walls, that type of thing, curbing around gravestones, the areas like that, but not to be used on your lawn. If you have lost moss in the lawn, use a zero. And just we'll stay with the kind of hard surfaces. Um, not not moss, but the green algae um, that's on a drive and it's slippery. How do we get rid yeah, of that? Yeah, that's nostoc. I was I was walking. Where was I walking? Uh, I was walking somewhere this week anyway, and noticed quite a bit of nostoc. Um, so nostoc is that it's an algae. When it, when we get plenty of moisture, it ends up like a jelly-like mm. substance, very very slippy, very dangerous. So again, you'll find the pack effective. On that. that Again, it needs to be applied on a dry day through a spray machine and that'll get rid of it. Okay. Now, we talked quite a bit about hydrangeas last week on the programme, but we had one or two follow-on questions. One person in particular, they have blue hydrangeas. They've lost their rich blue colour and faded to a steel grey early this year. Why? In big letters. (laughs) (laughs) Well, lots of hydrangeas, if you look at them, even the pink and the red varieties have lost their colour this year. And it's down to the the amount of rain we've had in the last couple of weeks. They have taken a bit of battering. They have right. taken, yeah, yeah. But, but you'll notice the flowers are, the colour is, we often, in a, in a cold, dry autumn, hydrangeas hold the colour and if anything, the colour intensifies as we get colder frost or yeah. weather, frostier weather, they go from a pink to a red. But this year, with all the rain we've had, the colours are actually washed out of them. So they are showing, lots of hydrangeas are showing that discoloration. So there's, there's nothing wrong with the plant. It's just down to the... It's just the weather. Yeah, and there's no point feeding them or doing anything with them at this time of year. Just let them wither naturally now. As we get into frosty weather, the leaves will fall off them anyway and then you prune them in the spring. Now, I'd like to plant an avenue with trees. I like broad-leaved okay. trees with Lovely. good autumn leaf colour. What types work best when planted in lines? Well, it depends on the size of the avenue because obviously there's trees for that will grow to different heights. Um, if you want, if on an avenue, you're generally looking for something with a nice columnar shape or a nice shape to the plant. Um, so there's a lovely tree called uh, the, the cone-shaped um, hornbeam or carpinus, carpinus betulus, um, which is a, a cone-shaped tree, very slender, very, very neat, uh, very compact and um, looks really well in, a, in an avenue effect. So you can plant the trees maybe 10 feet apart and they form this lovely, uh, stately, um, you know, avenue yes. effect. And uh, that particular variety of hornbeam actually colours lovely in the autumn. It goes from green to red. You could also use trees like liquid amber, mm-hmm. which is also, it's just colouring it, beginning to colour at the moment and goes the colour of Virginia creeper or Boston ivy, that lovely scarlet red colour. So liquid ambers, clean up the stems, prune up the stems maybe to four or five feet and then have a nice columnar head on the top of the liquid amber would look really well. I also like um, Betula jacquemonte, which is the jack's birch which is a, again produces a beautiful white stem in all year round, not just in winter, but it stands out in winter in particular. So that's the Jack's birch, nice clean stem, and again the leaves go from a green to a lovely yellowish colour in autumn. Sure. But you've got the winter colour then of the bark all year round. It looks really well planted with daffodils or with spring bulbs. So any of those trees. There's lots of. There's oh, another. Um, 
plenty of maples as well, Acer varieties that would have fantastic autumn blaze, which is a lovely autumn colour. And do they all grow to a similar height or is well, there varying heights there now? Small, the smaller, neater trees would be certainly the Carpinus, the hornbeam, Carpinus betulus. You'll see a lot of that planted in in urban areas, Castlebar, for example, in Westport, up along the the um, main street of Westport, the hornbeams are planted there because they have a very tidy, neat habit and they're suitable for, you know, smaller avenues or smaller areas. So depending on the, the jack's birch, again, is suitable for small gardens or small areas. And if, if it's a bigger avenue, then consider the, the maples in particular would be really good and the liquid ambers will very be... Very stately. Yeah, very nice trees, lovely autumn colour. But there's lots of really good trees can be used and a great time to plant them. Okay, one more and we'll take a break. Do you have the winter onion sets and garlic in and can they be planted in a tunnel for the winter and also do they need any food? Um, well, so first of all, of yes, you could. You, they're, they're available at the moment so you can get them at this time of year. Um, the two to look out for electric is the red skinned uh, onion set, Japanese onion. So first of all, Japanese onion sets are winter hardy varieties. So you plant the sets at this time of year. They grow during the winter period. You pick them as greens during the, say, December, January period and then as full-size onions in May. So there's two varieties. There's one called radar, which is a, a red or a yellow-skinned uh, traditional onion that stores extremely well. So radar, look for that. And electric is the red-skinned variety which has a milder flavour lovely in salads can the, the onion itself can be eaten raw it's got that milder sweeter taste so both those can be planted this time of year um, as indeed garlic garlic can be planted as well you can use them in your tunnel or you can use them directly out of doors and it's a good idea to do a little bit of both because you'll have them coming on at different stages in terms of the fertilizer a small bit of fertilizer onions are hungry plants so a bit of general purpose, grow mm. more or a vegetable fertiliser, small handful of that breaking into the soil beforehand would be a good idea as well. Okay. But they're totally winter hardy. Plant them now and you forget about them until, until springtime. springtime. Yeah, they they're great. Up, they pop up. Now, um, I know we're talking about harvesting different things. Carrots, Porek, set yes. carrots and they're doing well. Brilliant. Just wondering about the harvesting and while we are using the carrots daily, but is it better to harvest now and cut the green stem and put it in a pit as the stems are dying? Yeah, I, I I would leave them for another couple of weeks. Yes, you've got, you know, carrots will continue to grow for another three weeks. Um, so the harvesting of carrots, carrots normally start and parsnips even later, par- parsnips, but carrots in October, parsnips in November. And the old traditional method was pitting them. So that meant literally digging up the the uh, carrot stems, uh, creating an area in, in the garden where you'd put a, a level of soil, put some rushes or hay, something to sit the carrots on, put another layer, layer of soil on top of them, another layer of hay, more carrots and so on. You build them up in a bank system and that keeps them, it stores them for the winter. Um, and it, you, because they're in a bank situation, you can harvest them very easily. Now, carrots will store indoors as well in a cool um, dark area so you could do a bit of both if you wanted but no I would just continue to pick as, as you need the green, they're still very green leave them till about the second third week of October and then start to harvest them and if you've got parsnips leave those till November they actually sweeten better uh-huh. if we get a bit of cold weather as do suede and turnips they're often left you know well into November, December before they're lifted. Now, a listener extended their lawn this year and now okay. they've got two different colours on the lawn. Okay. <laughs> green, green, green and red. Green and green. <laughs> 
Okay, very good. Uh, well, I suspect it might be a green, green and green, green in this yeah. instance, but just various shades. So how does one tackle that particular conundrum? Well, younger grass will tend to be naturally of a different colour. And, and as I often mention with grass seed, when you're buying grass seed, there are different blends, it's like buying tea. And you have, you know, the gold blend mix and the, Versus the, the whatever. whatever. Exactly. Yeah, okay. and, and so the seed can be often different if you buy different varieties of seed. So what you'll find is as the younger grass starts to mature, the colours will start to come similar because you'll actually start getting some clover and you'll get some other broadly weeds creeping into the new area as well. Okay. So there's nothing really to do. The, the, the thing at the moment really with lawns is, Okay, the weather's been very wet, so it's been hard to mow them. But you, they should be continued to mow, to mow your lawns right up until the middle of October. This because they often get a second flush at this time of year, and that helps to thicken up lawns. So continue to mow in dry weather if you can. Put on an autumn lawn feed, which again will help to strengthen the lawn and give it a bit of colour without forcing growth. And all lawns will need a treatment of the zero to control moss. If you do those simple things, the lawn will be in great condition going into the spring of next year. Now, all the tulips I planted this time last year grew very tall. Okay. However, they fell over in April. Please suggest some short stem types I'm planting in pots and window boxes. And so you find that in, in pots and window boxes, particularly if they're up against a window, yeah. they'll tend to fall out if you go for the taller varieties. And tulips like daffodils are sold by height. So you can get very, very short varieties like Gluck, G-L-U-C-K, which only grows six inches in height, either in a window box or a pot, it'll still only grow six inches high. So that's a really good one. It's got a large flower and quite a nice uh, leaf on it as well. So that's Gluck. You've got Red Riding Hood, which I really like. It's got variegated. It's got the red and green leaf. It's got a red flower. Um, mm-hmm. Lovely plant. You plant it this time of year. It only grows six inches, seven inches high. And there's another one called Pinocchio, which is a red oh. and, and white stemmed tulip. So it's got two colours. It's a bicolour in the flower quite a big head but again the leaf is variegated as well so pop into your local garden centre there's lots of tulips available at the moment go for the dwarf it'll be printed on the the height of them look for the dwarf varieties they're brilliant in pots and they're great for kids to grow because they're foolproof put them upside down sideways whatever they'll still grow they'll still come up Is it possible to get six foot high hedging on screening plants new building I need to screen with evergreen plants urgently the answer is yes. Yes, you can. You can get mature, what we call mature instant hedging. So these are plants that are grown in the nursery for the last six or seven years. You literally plant them and you've got yourself an instant hedge two metres high overnight. But it's an expensive way of doing oh, it. Oh, absolutely. You're yeah. paying, paying for, 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 the, for the growth for and the, the years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, it may be a specific view that the listener wants mm-hmm. to hide and you could consider evergreen trees as well. So there are trees like evergreen oak. There's a, a cotoneaster called canubia, which, um, and the, most of those trees you can buy as semi-mature. So if it's just a window you want to block or a specific area in the garden that you want to block a view from, mm-hmm. then maybe one or two, two trees might solve the problem. And they, as I say, the evergreen varieties, eucalyptus would be another tree that retains its foliage 12 months of the year. So it's, it's, you're putting it in like a full stop in the garden to create that visual block. Okay. Or as a listener requested, you can get hedging plants six feet, seven feet, eight feet tall and literally put them in and they give you a wall of instant foliage. Yep. So it's as if the hedge was there was for there the last already? eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, back to apples one or two on those. We, you were talking about Elstar earlier yeah. on, one of the ones you brought in. An eight-year-old Elstar fruit tree, loads of leaves, but no fruit, says Terry. 
Okay. Now, well, I don't know if that's just this year where may, no fruit or if that has been a recurring problem. Yeah, it's unusual that Elstar, because it's, it's generally a very reliable variety. Mm. First of all, loads of leaves tell you nothing, but did it flower is the key thing. Because apple trees have to flower before they can be pollinated. And if they flower heavily, then it's a pollination problem. If it's on its own, it's going to need a couple of partners. So putting Katie, James Grieve... Um, grenadier if you want a really good cooking apple Bramley seedling varieties like that to give a good cross pollination between the trees um, because Elster on its own won't produce a heavy crop for you so um, again a bit of the sulphur to polish will help to bring it into flower next year and maybe just needs a couple of friendly apple trees beside it you need to have the trees flowering at the same time so when you're in your local garden centre Mention the variety you have, Elstar, and they'll pick varieties that will flower at the same time, like James Grieve, Katie, Beauty of Bath, all and, of those. And can apples grow from the seeds from your apples? Yes, they can. See there, there's a yeah. couple of seeds. I've been munching on that apple. Yes. See the little seeds there? Yes. Those brown seeds. So if I you can, collect can those, I take those, yes, you can. Grow an apple tree. Like famously, there's many varieties that famously were grown from seeds. So Bramley seedling, for yeah. example. That was grown by a youngster who literally took a, a, a seed from an apple, planted it in the garden, and 10 years on, Bramley stuff. Seeding was, was born back in 18-whatever, 60-something. Okay. Um, so, but having said that, uh, sowing them from seed generally gives it dis- dis- disappointing results. So the tree grows. It tends to be very vigorous in its nature and you don't know what you've got. Okay, so you're expecting great things because you have growth and it mightn't deliver at the end exactly. of the day. And so, so the day. Exactly. So the recommendation then is... Well, well, you, you, you generally, for most people, they'll buy tried and trusted varieties. They'll buy varieties like James Grieve or Elstar or Grenadier or Bramley Seedling. You know, when you buy those, you know what you're getting. Um, uh, but sowing them from seed, again, it's often a fun thing for children to do. They can grow the pips, um, sow them in, in literally seed trays, leave them outside for the winter so that they, the frost gets at them and breaks the dormancy, and they'll sprout by the following spring and grow on as little saplings. So as a fun thing, certainly, and who knows, you might end up with deer to seedling or okay, deer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and make a fortune on a new variety of apple. I of deer seedlings. Yeah. But anyway, I have a courgette plant and I've got some of it. Uh, I've got some courgettes from it all year. Um, there was about four growing in the last few weeks. They were attacked by something. I'm just wondering, would it be some insect or would you have any idea? Well, it, it sounds like it's uh, slugs and snails will often attack them at this time of year as they're beginning to ripen. Um, wasps can often do damage to courgettes as well. Uh, so, look, the, the key thing with courgettes is to harvest them when they're small, harvest them when they're young. If there's any damage on them, you're better just to cut them off and either dump them or use them straight away. Um, cut back on the watering too. If they're in greenhouses and tunnels, this time in September, because the day temperature is cooler, the day length is shorter, you need to reduce the watering on plants in general because it tends to encourage diseases like botrytis on uh, fruiting plants. So cut back in the washing a little bit as well. But it sounds to me like a bit of slug and sn- or snail damage, which is done at night time. Mm-hmm. So you don't see it. And oh, yeah. uh, if and it's munched away, that that, that's very that sounds like them. Although and lots of slugs and snails this autumn. Huge amount of um, activity, activity at the moment, yeah. Although in fairness now, from the sounds of things, uh, that plant obviously has performed it's pretty done well, very well all year. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, and it's been a good year for fruiting in general. We have a pumpkin growing in a pot. Brilliant. Have you any advice? Would it be better growing in the ground? And what kind of feed should be used, please? And thanks. Right. Well, it depends on the size of the pot because pumpkins are 
extremely vigorous and hungry plants. And you can imagine to produce a, uh, from literally a seed sown in March to a big pumpkin plant, a big plump pumpkin fruit um, in the autumn. It takes a lot of energy to produce that. So generally speaking, they're planted in the ground because it's easier to manage them, it's easier to wash them, and you can add lots of fertiliser to the ground. But having said that, if you get yourself a good old big pot, a big uh, half barrel with good rich compost, you can grow pumpkins in pots as well. But ideally, they should be going in the ground. The, the one I mentioned in the Victorian mm. Garden in Dublin, they had a, literally a patch of pumpkins planted in the soil with the phacelia. You generally add some organic matter, rotten manure, farmer manure is really relished by Pumpkins. pumpkins. They like that because it retains the moisture and it gives lots of nutrition as, as well. Uh, but continue to feed it, continue to water it in the pot. And, you know, Halloween is, what, at least another month away. Mm. So there's a good period yet for it to colour and mature and, and do well. A good idea with any of the squashes or pumpkins or fruits in general is to put a stone or a brick underneath the plant. So lift it off the ground. Right. So if the pumpkin is sitting on a on a paving or a piece of tarmac at him, lift it up off the ground with a brick because let the air in around the fruit, otherwise you sometimes get, can get rotting. Or if people have marrows, for example, growing in the garden, if they're sitting on the soil, they tend to rot at this time of year. So lift them up with something to let the air in around them. Anne is in Sligo and she's wondering, is it advisable to plant peony roses and other flowering species now or to try and wait until spring? No, this is a great... I mean, traditionally, October, September, October, November was seen as the planting season because like I said the soil conditions particularly in September are very warm um, and also plants initiate roots all winter long so even though there's no physical growth mm. you can't see any new buds or new leaves the plant is growing beneath the soil because soil temperature doesn't really it's at a peak now in September but it'll only go down several degrees three or four degrees over the winter period so the roots of plants continue to root all winter long so autumn is always probably the best now, it all depends on the weather and if it's wet and miserable and all that sort of thing. But generally speaking, autumn is the planting season. So I would highly advise the planting of peony roses, all the perennial plants, lupins, delphiniums, um, alstroemerias. They should be planted at this time of year. All the spring bulbs, fruit trees, hedging plants, putting in new lawns, the sowing of the sweet pea that I mentioned. Autumn is nature's it's time chemical. to plant. I mean, if you, if you simply think what nature is doing, it's producing seed at this time of year. It's casting its berries. So surely it's the time to plant if nature is telling us rather than January, February, March, which so, we yeah. tend to associate with the planting season. Autumn is actually the true planting so th- time. So th- think about when the seeds come and, and, and that exactly. logic, logic dictates doesn't it, from It doesn't there. make perfect sense. It absolutely does. I mean, you don't need me here to tell you that. I know we do, really. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Uh, we're going to draw on your expertise one more time, Porek, before we, perhaps we finish up this morning. Um, now, this is kind of quite um, a lengthy uh, text, but I'll try and abbreviate it as best I can. So somebody's rec- looking for a recommendation for some trees for an exposed area of a garden uh, that they would like to divide. So they have a main garden and then they would like to have a seating area it's a fairly big space about three quarters of an acre I think um, they'd like them not to be overly high fast growing um, and not only evergreen so some colour in the leaves as well there's a few other criteria too oh they don't want cherry blossoms so okay yeah so fast growing and not fast overly growing, high fast growing not overly high um, <laughs> tends not to work that way but if look at the first thing to remember when planting any plant in the garden you look at the exposure and if the garden is exposed that limits the, the type of trees that you can grow because you want trees there's no point to putting in our old friend the Rabinia Sudicacea in because it'll just 
be damaged. So trees for exposed areas are things like Sorbus aureolutescens, which is the white beam, a great tree planted in coastal areas. It's a small to medium tree, grey or silver leaves, white flowers, red berries. It's in the mountain ash family. So that tells you how tough it is. It's a real good plant. I, I recommend that for coastal areas, elevated sites. It's a real winner. You've got another plant called Critagus, Paul Scarlet, which is in relation to the white thorn mm-hmm. and we know how hard the white thorn yeah, is. It's so, lo- and it's lovely. It's a lovely tree. Mm-hmm. It flowers like a cherry but the small flowers are smaller, more dainty and it's a more traditional plant as well. The mountain ash, there's lots of varieties of mountain ash that do really well. Trees in the sycamore family. So some of the acers, the hardier acer, um, so particularly the sycamore related trees, there's lots of good ornamental varieties of those that can be used. What I'd recommend is maybe for the listener to take a couple of pictures of the site, bring them into me into the garden centre. I'll actually be there for the afternoon if, if they're around in, in Turlock today. So if you want to bring the pictures in and I'll be able to advise you more specifically. But the exposure is something to be considerate of and there's no point putting in fancy trees in an exposed sure, location. Okay. So shelters or, or selecting the trees to tolerate windy conditions is really paramount. The way to go. Yeah. Okay. Now we have. We're going to finish there. We've had lots of questions. I noticed on um, trimming, hedging, and things like that. So that might be something that we'll, we'll just take do a look that at next, next week. week. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. So just in case people are wondering why we didn't quite get to their question, a big volume in this morning, but uh, we'll focus on hedge trimming and all of that next week on the program. That's my lot for this morning. Uh, stand by, Michael Neary on the way next with Country Classics, of course. I'm back again next Saturday, just after seven in advance of tomorrow Gnairi and Polev.